We are in the middle of a short sermon series on the Psalms. There are many, many different kinds of Psalms, but they tend to fall into three main categories. Psalms of praise, Psalms of lament, and Psalms of thanksgiving. We have heard sermons on Psalms 100 and Psalm 103. These are Psalms of praise. We could call them Psalms of orientation. If you were here last week, we heard a sermon on Psalm 13, a psalm of lament or disorientation. And in the coming two weeks, Troy will preach on two psalms of thanksgiving. We could call these psalms of reorientation. So this short sermon series will cover two psalms in each of those three main categories. Praise, lament, and thanksgiving. This morning is our second psalm of lament. What's a lament? Troy gave us two definitions last week. Here's the longer definition. A lament is the honest cry of a heart that's wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. It's the honest cry of a heart that's wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Or... A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. As we read through the book of Psalms, we see that this book is filled with laments. It is filled with prayers in pain that lead to trust. Almost half of the Psalms, about 70 out of 150 Psalms, are Psalms of lament. And God knows... God knows that we need each and every one of them. I don't need to tell you or convince you that suffering is an ever-present reality for all of us. One of my seminary professors, a native-born Scot, once said to our class, in Scotland, it's either raining or it's about to rain. In Scotland, it's either raining or about to rain. And it's true. During, during college, I studied for a semester in Scotland. It's true. But my professor went on to say this. He said, in the same way, Christians are either suffering or about to suffer. Christians are either suffering or about to suffer. Search the scriptures. Think about your own experience. It's true, isn't it? God knows our suffering And he invites us. He wants us to speak to him. But he also knows that suffering people are often at a loss for words. So what has God given us? He has given us us a book filled with words to say. Filled with laments. Laments, these prayers and pain that lead us to cry out to him. When we don't know what to say, here's what we can pray. Here's what we can say. As we heard last week, these laments tend to follow a pattern. Troy used the acronym CAT, C-A-T, to help us remember. And we saw this pattern last week in Psalm 13. C, the psalmist complains to God. Oh, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Then A, the psalmist then asks for something. 
In Psalm 13, the psalmist says or asks, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. C, A, and then finally T, the psalmist expresses trust in the Lord. Listen to these closing verses from Psalm 13. Listen for his trust in the Lord. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. C-A-T. Complain, ask, and trust. But what do you do when you can't or don't trust God? I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about believers. What do you do when you read the closing verses of a psalm like Psalm 13 and only feel indifferent? What do you do when you read those closing verses and hear about God's steadfast love, about his salvation and bountiful dealings, and feel angry at God? What do you do? What should you do as a Christian when all that you feel is darkness? You can open your Bible to Psalm 88. Most laments are prayers in pain that lead to trust. Psalm 88 is a prayer in pain that does not lead to trust. Psalm 88 begins in darkness and ends in deeper darkness. What do you do when you don't trust God? What do you do when you believe that he exists, but it certainly doesn't feel like it? What do you do when you feel abandoned by the God who's supposed to be with you? What do you do when you feel like God is out to get you? When you feel like he's against you and that he's full of wrath? What do you do? What do you do as a Christian? Let Psalm 88 be your prayer. Take your cue from this psalm of lament. First, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord, the God of your salvation. This is how the psalm begins. Listen again to these opening verses. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. What does the psalmist do? He cries out to God. He cries out to God. When we suffer... We always face two choices. We stand at a crossroads when we suffer. We stand at a T in the road, a fork in the road. One road, one choice is the path of crying out to God. The other road, the other choice is to not. We always stand at a crossroads in our suffering. We can cry out to God or not. And there's an inward tilt to our suffering, to our darkness. Suffering, as you all know, it drags us inward. Inside, we withdraw. The overwhelming pull is to think of ourselves and our situation and our suffering more and more and more. We can't get away from it. It's always there. It pulls us into ourselves. If that's what suffering is like, then it's no surprise that crying out to God is hard. It's hard. It's also hard because suffering raises questions, inevitably, about God. Is he there? Does he love me? Why would he let this happen? 
It's hard. But when you have no hope, your only hope lies in seeking God. That's where your only hope is found. And that's what the psalmist does. He does it desperately. He cries out round the clock, day and night. His cry is is more like a yell. It's more like a scream. God, listen to me. God, listen. Will you not listen? Incline your ear to my cry. Here we learn something that's so profound, so important about faith. Counselor Ed Welch writes this. He says, faith feels many different ways. Faith feels many different ways. It can be buoyant. It can be depressed and lifeless. But feelings don't define faith. Feelings don't define faith. Instead, faith is simply turning to the Lord. Faith is not the presence of warm religious feeling. It's the knowledge that you walk before the God who hears. Feelings don't define faith. Faith is simply turning to the Lord. As we read through Psalm 88, there is not a trace of warm religious feeling. There is no warmth in this psalm. But the psalmist cries out to the Lord, and that cry is the cry of faith. It's the cry of faith standing at a crossroads. Do I cry out to God or do I not? He, he cries out to God. These verses, when you think about it, they show a heroic faith, a heroic faith. Think of it this way. A non-Christian doesn't pray like this. A non-Christian doesn't pray to begin with. Despair for a non-Christian is always self-focused and self-centered. But despair for the Christian, for us, is God-centered. If you think of it, this prayer only makes sense from the perspective of faith. It only makes sense from the perspective of faith. Because the psalmist is not an atheist, he cries out to the Lord. And notice how the psalmist speaks of his Lord. How does he speak of his God? He says, O Lord, God of my salvation. It almost, it almost has a creed-like ring to it. And when skies are dark, that's when creeds and liturgies shine. Creeds and liturgies remind us of what we believe when we feel like God doesn't exist. They give us words to say when we feel like we can't say anything. Who is your God? Well, the psalmist reminds us. He is the Lord. He is the God of your salvation. So Christian, are you crying out to him? Are you crying out to your God? Every day you stand at a crossroads. Every day you stand at a T in the road. Will you pray? Remember the inward tilt, the inward pool of suffering. Look up and cry to God. What suffering or darkness or despair or frustration are you experiencing today? What are those frustrations? What are the unvoiced ones? Choose the path of crying out to the Lord. You're saving God. As we see in this psalm, in verses 1 and 2, when you have no hope, your only hope lies in God and in crying out to him.
as we think about crying out to God, I think this is really helpful. I hope it's helpful for you. Crying out to God is, is like a stage on the pathway of hope. It's a stage on the path of hope. Think about a trail. Maybe you're a runner or a walker, a bike rider. Think about a rails to trails in this area. Most trails have mile markers. And, and why are those so helpful? They, they tell you where you're at. Okay, I've come a mile and a half, and I have a mile to go, or I have 15 miles to go. They, they mark where you're at. Well, Counselor Ed Welch says that the path of hope, the path of hope has stages, or it has mile markers. So when you're starting the path, you're at mile marker zero, and what would you expect there? That's the stage of incomplete or little or no hope. That's where you're starting. But if you start walking down the path of hope, if you start crawling down the path of hope, what's next? What's the next mile marker? Well, you'll come to the mile marker that says, crying out, well, not yet crying out to God, but speaking about God. Speaking about God. In your darkness, in your suffering, you start to mention God. You bring him into your conversation. You speak of him in the third person. You begin to vent about God. That's a mile marker on this path of hope. And as you continue walking down the path, you come to the next mile marker. You're making progress when you not only talk about God, but begin speaking to him. When you're not only speaking about God, but to him, you start by asking him questions like, how long, O Lord, why are you doing this? As Psalm 88 does, you speak to him in the first person. Listen to me, God, listen to me. And hope grows. You continue down that path of hope as you speak to him, as you ask for specific things, as you keep doing it, and as you persevere. You are walking down the pathway of hope. You are making progress down the pathway of hope. So think about one of your present sufferings, one of the trials in your life right now. Now place yourself on that path of hope. Are you at the start of the path with little or no hope? If that's where you're at, then the next step is speaking about God. Speaking about God. Say things like, why is God doing this to me? That's the next step. Maybe you're already there. Maybe you're already speaking about God. Well, the next step, the next mile marker on that path of hope is speaking to the Lord. Instead of saying, why is God doing this to me? You say, God, why are you doing this to me? You're making progress down the path of hope. There are, there are stages, and it can be helpful to know, just like when you're running, and you wonder where you're at, and that mile marker saying you've got one mile to go is so helpful. Well, in the same way, think about a path of hope, and those mile markers help you to know, okay, here's what's next. Here's where I'm at. Think about it that way, but in terms of hope, the stages of hope in your particular suffering, in your particular trial or difficulty, what is the next step for you? What's the next step? In Psalm 88, we see the psalmist at the stage of crying out to God. He just passed that mile marker, crying out to God. He's on the pathway of hope, 
And crying out to God is a remarkable, a heroic display of faith. So, when we're in the darkness, what should we do? When we feel like we can't and don't trust God, what should we do? First, cry out to the Lord, the God of your salvation. And second, honestly, tell the Lord how you feel. Tell him how you feel. That's what the psalmist does next. And actually, it's what he does for the, for the rest of the psalm. So we'll look at these next verses. And you'll notice as we read through them again that they're somewhat general. They're somewhat general. The psalmist doesn't name a particular life circumstance, like I was fleeing from Saul or something like, like that. So we can thank God that they're general because it means that we can apply these verses to any number of trials, any number of sufferings or circumstances. So as, as I reread some of these verses, listen for what stands out to you. Which verses resonate with you? Which verse can you point to and say, yes, that's how I felt when I went through that suffering. Or that's how I feel right now, right now. So let's look at some of these again. The psalmist holds nothing back. Verses 3 to 5 say this. For my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. The psalmist is describing a living death. He is physically alive but feels dead. Does that describe how you're you're feeling? Does that describe your experience? If so, tell the Lord. Speak to him about it. God, this is how I feel. It's not just that the psalmist experiences a living death. It's actually... It's actually worse. It feels like a living hell. Listen again to verses 6 and 7. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. So what's going on here? The psalmist feels like God's wrath is on him. On him, a a child of God, a believer. He feels like God is angry, pressing down, drowning him. He feels like he's dying under the wrath of God with no conscious hope. That's how he feels. He says, you, God, you, you have put me. You overwhelm me. You can almost see him with his finger pointed up to the heavens. God, you have done this. You have put me here. And here we learn something that's so crucial for our Christian lives. We need, we need this as Christians. And here's the point. Don't hesitate to see your trials and your sufferings as coming from God's good hands. Don't hesitate to see your darkness is coming from his good hands. Do you remember what Job said? Pastor Troy mentioned it last week. The Lord gave 
And who took away? The Lord. The Lord took away. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. We remember and affirm and believe that God is perfect. There is no darkness in him. There is no evil in him. He is pure light. He is good. He is love. He is life. We affirm that. We believe that. It's what we believe, brothers and sisters. At the same time, we also believe in God's providence. God's providence. That's the topic we've been studying in our Sunday school class this summer. What is God's providence? Can anyone say it with me? God's providence is his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. God's providence. So everything, even darkness, ultimately, in a way that we can't understand, it ultimately comes from his good hands. We can't comprehend how this is true, but it is. We can't, it's a mystery to us, but it's true. R.C. Sproul said that there are no maverick molecules. I thought that was a really good way of putting it. There are no maverick molecules in the entire universe. Not a single molecule acts independently of God. In the same, in a, in a way that we can't comprehend, God, who is only good, has foreordained Everything that happens, everything, without exception, all things. So we could say that there are no maverick sufferings, no maverick sufferings. Every trial, every frustration, every evil, every darkness ultimately somehow comes from his good and perfect and wise hands. Last week, I, I heard about a sign at someone's business. The sign said, if you like my product, then tell others. If you don't like my product, then tell me. If you don't like my product, tell others. Or, sorry, if you like my product, tell others. If you don't like my product, tell me. I thought that was a good way to put it, but apply that to this truth. Do you like God's product? Specifically, do you like God's product, uh, his providence? Do you like his providence? Tell him what you don't like. He wants you to speak with him. Tell him what you don't like. Tell him how your darkness feels. The psalmist feels like God hates him. That's not outside the bounds of Christian experience. You may feel in the past or in the present or in the future, like God hates you. Well, in your, when you're in that place, tell the Lord how you feel. Don't hesitate to see your suffering as ultimately coming from his good hands. The psalmist has only started. He continues to pour out his soul to God. As I reread more of these verses, listen for what resonates with you. Starting again in verse 8. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. 
Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, but I, O Lord, this is the turning point, right? This is where David in Psalm 13 made his turn to the Lord toward trust, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. Here's the but. This is the transition, right? The transition from dark to light, right? That's not what happens here. The very opposite happens, actually. The psalmist plunges into deeper darkness. Wherever he looks, wherever he looks, when he looks to his past, to his childhood, when he looks up to God, when he looks out to the, to the people around him, wherever he looks, he doesn't find any comfort or hope or assurance. He feels completely abandoned, completely forsaken and trapped. Listen to these, listen to these heartbreaking, these heart-wrenching and desperate cries. He says, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. What's the last word of this psalm? It's darkness. It's darkness. No other psalm is as dark and as hopeless as this one. This is, you could call it the lament of all laments. The last word is darkness. As I reflected on this psalm, I thought about my experience caving or or spelunking. Have any of you gone caving or spelunking? I remember going caving, I think it was in late high school or early college, and we crawled and shimmying our way underground until we got to this cavern where, where we could all stand up. And our leader said, okay, everyone turn off your flashlights. Maybe you've had the same experience. The flashlights went off, and you put your hand an inch from your face, and you can't see it. Utter, complete darkness. It is, it's an experience unlike any other. You literally can't see anything. Well, that's what the psalmist feels like. He feels like he can't see anything. He's lost underground, and his worst fear has come true. His batteries are all dead. He doesn't have any matches left, and he is lost underground with no hope. No one's with him. Everywhere he looks, up and down and forward and back, is pitch black. He feels abandoned, cursed, forsaken, panicked. This is what he's experiencing. And he's a Christian. He's a child of God. He's a believer. Do you have a category for this kind of experience? Is this in your categories for what the Christian may experience? Do you have a category for this? For suffering that's this hard, this intense? This psalm 
is showing us, it's telling us that Christians are not exempt from despair. They're not exempt from darkness. As I began studying this psalm, I couldn't help but think about the, the life of William Cooper. Some of you might know that name. Cooper was born in 1731, so that's, that's over three, or not quite, 300 years ago. His mother died when he was six, and his father was absent from his life. He was sent to a boarding school, and there he was probably sexually abused. In his early 20s, he experienced debilitating depression for the first time. Debilitating depression. A few years later, his best friend drowned. A few years later, he had his second bout of severe depression, and he tried unsuccessfully to commit suicide. Then, in an insane asylum, he was reading John, the Gospel of John, and he was reading Romans 3, and he believed the Gospel. He believed the Gospel, the light shone into his, into his soul, into his heart, and he believed. He became a Christian. And he moved out of that insane asylum to a town called Olney. And there, someone became his faithful and pastor and friend for the rest of his life, John Newton, the, the writer of Amazing Grace. But Cooper's depression didn't go away. It didn't go away. He had third and fourth bouts of horrifying depression. Again and again, he tried unsuccessfully to commit suicide. And you'd like, to, you'd like to hear a happy ending, a cheerful ending to his life, but there's no happy ending. He died in despair. He died in despair as a Christian, for, uh, feeling forsaken by God. So Cooper is the poet who wrote the hymn, There's a Fountain Filled with Blood. Do you love that hymn? Cooper wrote it. He's also the, the poet who wrote the hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. We sang that earlier in our service. It was the last hymn that he wrote. He wrote a lot with John Newton. It was the last hymn that he wrote, either right before or right after another attempted suicide. And do you know the original title of that hymn? The original title was Light Shining Out of Darkness. Light Shining Out of Darkness. God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Why do I share some of his story? Some of you are familiar with it. Why do I share some of it this morning? Because it's an example of what Christians may experience. It's an example of the tormented, anguished words that we find in Psalm 88. Whatever you're suffering, friends, whatever you're suffering, cry out to the Lord. Put your suffering into words. Use Psalm 8. Use the other laments of Scripture and speak to your God. Tell him honestly how you feel. And know that no matter how you feel, darkness is not your only companion. No matter how you feel, the darkness 
is not, it's not your only companion. There is someone there with you in the pitch black cave. There is one who has shared in your sufferings. There is one who knows exactly how darkness feels. There is one who understands your suffering, our suffering better than we do. You may feel like you're dying under God's wrath, but you're not. Jesus Christ felt like he was dying under God's wrath, and he really was. He really was. Let me say that again. You may feel like you're dying under God's wrath, but you're not. You're not. But there is one, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who felt like he was dying under God's wrath, and he was. He literally was. For Jesus, Psalm 88 was not simply what he felt. It was true. It was true. In the darkness of Calvary, Psalm 88 was not an illusion for Jesus. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. It's as though Psalm Psalm 88 ends with Jesus gasping out his last breath. The last word being darkness. So think again. Think again about what happened on the cross. Think about what happened at Calvary. Jesus voluntarily, he voluntarily suffered unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul. He voluntarily did that. And why? So that we, his people, might be delivered from the terror and horrors of hell. That's why Jesus went through the cross and died. This is why the Father sent the Son. Loving us this much, loving us so much, the Father sent the Son to become a man of sorrows, to participate in our sufferings, to save us from hell, a hell that we justly deserve, that we have earned for our sins. So Jesus shares in our sufferings. He shares in our sufferings. And that's true. But I like to, it may be more helpful to think of it this way. We share in his sufferings. You share in his sufferings. No one knows darkness like he does, so he knows yours. No one can better sympathize with your hellish trials. He is an expert in every suffering we experience. He knows our pain. He is our companion in the darkness. So brothers and sisters, cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. He is your Lord. He is your saving God, the God of your salvation. Tell Jesus how your trial feels. Tell him how your suffering feels. Put it into words. Use Psalm 88. Use another lament. Speak it to him. And remember that you share in his sufferings for a moment. You share in his sufferings for a moment. Darkness may be the last word of Psalm 88. Darkness may be the last word of your day or of your year. Like Cooper, it may be the last word of your life here on earth. But because Jesus rose from the dead, 
because the resurrection is true, because the grave was empty, darkness does not have the last word. Darkness does not have the last word. Jesus Christ is. He is the final word. And if you are in him, then the last word on your life is light. The last word on your life will be never-ending light. Think of the new heavens and new earth. Think of the new heavens and new earth. This gathered worship service is a foretaste of that. Think of the new heavens and earth. There will be no more psalms of lament. No more psalms of lament. Psalm 88 is for our lives here and now. Not forever. Psalm 88 will one day be put on the shelf and we will no longer pray it. We won't need it. There will be no more laments. The path of hope will reach, after all of those mile markers, the the path of hope will reach its destination, which is never-ending praise. The path of hope will lead to where where it's ordained to be led by God, never ending a finish line of praise. A day is coming when there will be no night and no darkness, but only light. Only light. So Christian, brothers and sisters, you are not alone. You have a companion in the darkness. His name is Jesus. Cry out to him. Put what you're feeling into words. Tell him honestly how you feel and remember that for a moment, eternity is a long time, for a moment you share in his sufferings. Amen.